You're very sweet. Thank you. Let's pray together. God, uh, would you help us understand where you are in the midst of all of this? Jesus, would we become closer to you, more dependent on you? And would you help us find hope and help in you and the resources that you've put in place? It's in your name we all pray. Amen. Uh, welcome to Lake Point. I swear it's not usually that big of a bummer after uh, amazing uh, music like that. And that dude who plays guitar, I just want to be like him. Not when I grow up now. I just, oh my gosh. That's, that's what speaks to my heart very often is music. The things I want to tell you about, though, is that video, you may notice I look a little different now. That was four years ago uh, when I filmed that. Uh, and four years later, I told you my biggest fear was that somebody was going to say, go away, I can't handle you anymore, you're way too much. And that happened to me last June. One of my concerns this morning is that I would tell you uh, things that you, you don't need to know or things that wouldn't be helpful. And I, I want to tell you things that are going to be helpful. You can try to find satisfaction and hope from people. And no matter how badly they want to at first, we let each other down. Christians are exceptionally awesome at this because we preach a big game in grace. But when you're just annoyed with somebody or you're exhausted with them, it's hard to keep talking about grace because your gracer is broken. You can't give it anymore. You're just, you just get fed up, all right? And I, I understand that. And that is what happens when you live a life of codependency or you live a life of approval worship. And for me, I, I want to tell you this. Um, I, I have done a lot of work in this past year uh, with counseling, with uh, a 12-step recovery group where I was able to talk about anger and depression. Um, but I was told by my best friend, um, I'm just exhausted by you, and he won't talk to me. Um, and that, that, that person is the person that taught me so much about Jesus but the problem was is that I had started sinning and equating a Christian with Christ. And I had found hope in Christ. I, I did not come to Lake Point uh, this past October so that Scott would fix me. That's our lead pastor. Um, he's great. <laughs> and he's one of the nicest and kindest people I've ever known. And his wisdom, I'm not sucking up to my boss right now, it's true. His his wisdom is striking, but Scott is not going to fix me. The Lord, and a lot of hard work on my part, is where I'm finding hope. And I want to treat this morning like if you and I were to go out and get coffee together, and you paid because it's appropriate, I don't know why I joke, I'm sorry, but we, we sat, we got coffee together, what would I tell you? And today I want to give you a very raw this isn't the perfect polished version. Here it is, super practical, and 
it's, it's just not going to be like what I would put in a book. It's going to be what I would put in your life because I believe this is what you would actually need to hear. Sometimes we preach in broad terms because you need to speak in broad terms in order to help the most people. Today I'm going to speak in very specific terms to try to help you. And, and I will tell you, I want to start up top with understanding something about myself that I am not and you are not the sum total of your mistakes you're a child of a living God who believes that, and at least for me, I believe that Jesus Christ was crucified. He was killed because of sin in this world. And I'm one of those sinners. And they tried to put him in a grave and it could not hold him. And he arose and is alive today. And today he has satisfied his father's wrath in this world and has already paid for everything that I will do, ever will do, everything my children have done and will do, and everything you have done, my friend. Whether it was late last night when you dragged yourself to church because you knew you had to get here to pray for somebody or to pray for yourself and try to find hope, I, I want you to know that peace does not come in men and women. There is nothing in this world that will complete you. There is only Jesus that can make you reborn. And that's what we need. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. And I'm going to be in a translation called the English Standard Version, if you guys uh, usually use NIV. And it says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has atoned us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. My dad in heaven has given me my name. I grew up with a tough and good life happening at the same time. Things were good on one side of the planet. Things were not so good on the other. I have a good mom who's here today. I had a less than stellar, stellar but very charming biological father who was not on this planet anymore. Not because of cool reasons, but because it didn't go well for him. And he battled with it as well. And he chased his demons with alcohol which eventually created in him his final grand mal seizure and killed him. Depression has murdered my loved ones. I've seen people that I know and love and have prayed for, and suicide has taken them, and so have you. Before, it used to be a rare thing that we would talk about. Like, this was kind of a, a subject that we just would not address in church. We, we would honestly say things, like I said in the video, like, are you in the Word? Just get in the Word, and everything is going to be okay. But you and I have probably both met really wonderful, kind, the most generous people. Some of the funniest people you ever met, because the ones where their kung fu sarcasm is strong, which mine is, we're usually the best at fighting off the things that are going on in our own head. And I'm just telling you, you know what it's like to lose somebody that you thought was better than you were, and yet you're the one still here taking in breath. I'm telling you that there is hope. I have battled that demon many times. And I want to show you some of the ways out of it. Um, I want to make one thing really, really clear. Um, depression is a broad term. It means a lot of different things. It's like just saying the word cancer, and you know that there are hundreds and hundreds of kinds of cancer. Um, I will tell you my particular story, and I'm going to point us in the scriptures together because I believe that this illness actually did exist in the Old Testament even. 
But there is two different states that I want to talk about, which is depression, which is a mental illness, and being depressed, which is an emotional and mental wound that you're carrying. One is usually caused from a series of events, and one is just an illness. So there is a difference between being depressed, maybe you lose a loved one, maybe you lost a lot of loved ones at once, and it just sent you into a downward spiral. That's being depressed. And that is equally significant. I want to make that really clear. That is equally significant, but depression is just a straight-up illness. It showed up today. Sometimes there are triggers. Sometimes there are no triggers. It's different for absolutely every single person. But I want to show you how to pray when that darkness happens. And I believe in praying with honesty. My, uh, my mom and the man that I asked to adopt me when I was 18, Jack over here, and that's why my last name is Gibson, because I wanted him to be my dad. I learned very early on that the father is not the one that is given to you, but it's the father who chooses to stay next to you and raise you. So he took on a hot mess of a son. <laughs> Turns out he's got a story of his own. Um, but ask to see the tattoo on the back. Isn't that interesting? But here is this prayer that happens in a book called Lamentations. Can you all say Lamentations? I don't know why. Oh, geez, you all sound depressed right now. That's actually the perfect way to say the name of his book because it is a bummer. It literally means big, big fat cry fest. That's the exact Hebrew pronunciation. Now, uh, in chapter 3, this is how he starts it off. Now, this is written by a prophet named Jeremiah. He was told by God that he was going to have the power to raise up and destroy kingdoms. What dude is not going to take that job? Sign me up. I'll have the power to totally do what now? Raise up and destroy kingdoms? I'm the sweetest avenger ever. I'm taking it on. But things do not go well. Immediately or even barely. Even though he believes he's received promises from God. And in chapter 3 he says this, I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. And though I cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion hiding. He turned aside my steps. He tore me to pieces. He made me desolate. He bent his bow and set, as a target, set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver and has made me become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. This made it into the Bible. A guy who was clearly angry at God and had a few accusations to make. Oh my goodness, if I danced on a Saturday, there was a meeting about it on Sunday can you imagine if we would have been like Jeremiah back in the day and saying, this is all crap, and it's because of him. The deacons would have met, y'all. 
They would have talked and they would have chatted. And yet I read the Old Testament, flipping through it, and here he is. In some translations, they think that Jeremiah and parts of the book would swear when talking to God. But no, we're supposed to be a good Christian with extra peace in our heart. Our church has donuts. <laughs> Jeremiah doesn't work this way. In one translation, he actually describes himself as being thrown in a ditch and feeling like God raped him. So he has a complicated fate. And yet he is called one of the greatest prophets ever, and he helped prepare the way for Christ. It's amazing how it made it into the Bible. But in the same chapter, in verse 20, look at this. Now he changes his tune until later in the chapter, again, he is way back and forth. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I will call to my mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Excuse me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases? Aren't you the one with the kidney issues? His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The God, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that the one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. What just happened? There was a turn in here somewhere, right? I sound like I was from Kentucky for a second, didn't I? There was a turn! Yes, there was. Too many Billy Graham videos. But somewhere there's a shift. Which one is it, Jeremiah? Oh, prophet of inconsistency. Is God a bear waiting to jump on top of your face or a lion ready to eat you? Or is he good in the morning? I think the answer is very clear here, and it's unsettling, because I think the answer is both. Yes, which is a terrible way to answer an either-or question, but our God is not either-or, he is all. Our God is love, and yet he also is a God that you can talk to, put your finger back up at the sky, and he may respond to you like he did to Job, who is this that darkens my counsel? He may be. But here's what I wanted to say about my parents. I can't lie to them. My mom says my lip quiver. Whatever. But she knows. And now my wife has also taken on that duty. And she can hear. I swear she can smell it over the phone. Did you do the dishes today? Yeah. Yeah, you hear that voice. Oh, man. You think God buys any of our crap? That's the best, that's the closest to swearing as I get to talk about when talking about what I think is absolutely evil, which is depression and brokenness. I, you think he's ever like, oh, when I, if you pray and you're feeling low and you, you just haven't really faced the fact that maybe you're mad at him, and you're just like, God, thank you for this day. You think God's like, oh, no, she's fine. She is fine down there. I don't have to do a thing. I think it's insulting. I think there is a place for reverency, but I would rather think that God, who has seen me in every status of my life, can handle the fact if I say, I don't even know if you're good anymore. In fact, if you read the Psalms, 
That same prayer happens over and over again, and there's a rhythm to it. It starts with worry, with being upset, with feeling like you're, you're already living among the dead, so why not just be dead? It's in there constantly, and there's always a turn that comes to it, except when it doesn't. Because sometimes these people die. But there's something I want you to see. If you would, can you put verse 20 back up there? Verse 20 and verse 21, I, I want to say. My soul continually remembered it and is bowed down within me. But this I will call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. The battle of the mind. Yet this I will call to my mind. You see the activity that Jeremiah takes on here. Yet this I will call to my mind. I don't know if you've ever raised an animal before. If, you've had, if you have a, a child or a toddler or babysat, it's similar. Yet this I will call to my mind. I had this, this dog named Gracie, and I loved this little thing. When she wagged her tail, her whole butt went into furl. She was just this awesome lab. But her dedication to only wanting to pee on newspapers uh, was strong. And that I would just I would just have to teach her to go outside. And you know how I did it over and over and over again? At first it was moving the newspaper, but then eventually it was just me getting to know Grace. And me just looking at the dog and saying, Gracie, no, 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 no. And I would call her outside. No, 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 you don't go there. You go over here. No, you don't go there. You go over here. And in simple terms, you go, ah, no, over here, over here, over here. I think that's exactly what Jeremiah is doing with his own head. You're getting crazy again, Jeremiah. You just called him a bear. Huh? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's this I will call to my mind. You go over here, take your tinkles outside. Over here we go. Yet this I will train my mind. You want to know how you get in good shape for training? I'll tell you what I've heard. You, what you do to get in shape for training is repetition over and over and over. And yet this I will call to my mind that the Lord is good. And yet this I will call to my mind that the Lord is good. Meditation, beyond meditation, singing out loud, saying it out loud. But I know that he is good. And in this present darkness, I know that my God is capable of bringing a light. Be close, O oh God. Get this double call to my mind. I will train myself to get there. And you know what? Sometimes that works. And you can buck yourself up. And then for the rest of us, our bucker is busted. So what do you do? And here's what I want to take you straight to practical. There is, in some areas of life, and it's becoming less so now, where medication used to be a thing that was completely inappropriate. Well, you know, if you take pills, then you're not going to deal with the core root of the issue. Sometimes the root of the issue is that there's an issue rooted in there, and my wires are crossed. And in order to untangle them, when I'm in a complete panic, I will tell you that I take medication presently. It took me years to find the right one, though. Years. And even the right time of day to take them. Now, does medication solve everything? No. It's a tool. Just like I would say to you, if you're going to build a house, I recommend owning a hammer while you build. But the hammer does not equal my house. I have a Fitbit right now. So, right, I'm healthy, right? I'm ready to run the triathlon. I love how much we're willing to spend on Fitbits and Apple Watches, but none of us are like, maybe a salad today. <laughs> this doesn't make me healthy. It's just a tool. 
should I choose to utilize it? It's the same thing with medication. And you can overuse a tool. You ever use the hammer wrong? It's smart. You can kill somebody with a hammer, can't you? Building a house, building a house, building a house. You know the next thing that you need when you want to build a house? A plan. Blueprint. A lot of tools. Not just the one. So when somebody says to me, well, you're not going to address the root issue of your problem with a drug, and I'm like, all right, yeah, but I still need a hammer. That's what I need. And I had to go for it for a while, and everybody loves to tell me which hammer they were using. It is so crazy with, like, once that kind of just pops up in conversation, you take minutes, what are you on? It's, like, weird. It's, like, what's your favorite candy? I don't, like, <laughs> it's, like, weird how people will open up about it. And I will tell you, like, some of them just don't work on me. They sent me in the wrong direction, and they made me weirder. <laughs> I know, right? And then others, it took me years. And the fact that it takes you six weeks before there could be any sign whatsoever, then you don't know if it's a placebo effect, and then you don't. You've got your own issues already. I'm already bummed out. If I feel mildly better, I'm like, am I getting better or worse with the pill? And then I'm, like, trying to figure it out. And I, I've been trying to work on this for, like, ten years now, and I am finally found one that I'm like, I think it's better. And I had, I had to find the exact right time of day to get it better, and I couldn't just do all this guessing on my own. So I had multiple doctors, and I have a brilliant counselor. And I'm not on my first counselor either, <laughs> because not all ducks quack alike. They're just, they're, I don't know where that came from. That is not in my notes. But I also, uh, this past summer, I... Uh, went to a program called Celebrate Recovery, where it's a 12-step program, but this one is Christ-centered. And I attended Celebrate Recovery, and I'm still in touch with, uh, I have a sponsor where we just talk. And uh, we eat uh, we eat shawarma, chicken shawarma, which is this amazing Lebanese food. And we talk together at a distance because of all the garlic. And but I tell that, I tell him, what's up? I tell him what I'm battling with, or I tell him, hey, this thing creeped in. But I also do a lot of work. I do a lot of work. And part of that work is that, like I said, I'm seeing a counselor, and I have found a therapist who has a PhD, not a guy who took an online class, got his bachelor's, and now calls himself or herself a counselor. Because I will tell you that there's a lot of people out there who really want to help. But if you've got something as deadly as, as being depressed or depression or anxiety that is just ripping you apart, I don't want to go to somebody who Googles what's up with that guy. I want to go to somebody who has a vast experience uh, in, in knowledge. Uh, and I, I'll go a little bit further on that in a second. I'll give you some real practical advice on how to find a good counselor. Again, we're having coffee right now. This is not my perfect college sermon. I, I want to talk to you that I've had to do a lot of work because I, what I had to learn was that I couldn't just call it depression anymore. It couldn't just be like, well, my depression does this to me. Well, my anxiety does this to me. Because what I found that I've been doing with it, and this is within the past year that I've really started working on this, I found that I was like elevating it. I was making it like this vague, 
but incredible power in my life. And you know what you're doing when all you're saying is my depression is I was worshiping it. I didn't mean to. I wasn't loving it, but I was worshiping it. Worship is simply to elevate something above yourself and to lower yourself. And I was saying my depression, my depression, oh, the great power of it. And I was like, man, I got to do some real work. So what kind do I have? I needed to go to a professional that could actually tell me and help me work through it and who asked amazing questions to keep me even close to finding out. Because when you're just battling this vague, dark monster, it's like Jaws before the end of the movie when you know what you're dealing with. Please tell me you've seen Jaws, because I will stop the sermon and get it on Netflix right now. It's like, <laughs> this is my favorite movie. But the, the whole, the, if you know the story of why that became one of the most popular movies of all time, the shark broke. That's why you don't see it till the end. They kept making it out of wood and metal, and Bruce, as the final monster version is called, kept sinking. So Steven Spielberg said, everything has to be in their mind to scare them. So it wasn't the shark that was coming after them, it was the idea of the shark that was scaring all of us, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, said the sequel. It was preying upon that. My friends... When you just name it something vague and you don't do the work to really dig into there, you're just afraid of what's in the water. You haven't even faced the monster yet. And to me, I don't want to spoil the ending of Jaws. I want to blow it up. And I can't do it unless I know where to aim. So, I find out I'm afraid. I'm terribly afraid of abandonment. Because, well... Daddy left. And because of the incredible turmoil of my sister's life, she was my hero, eight-year age difference between us, she left too. She had to, I believe, for the betterment of her own life. And then friends left. And then I did something really stupid. I got involved in ministry. Do you know people leave churches? And that's where my whole life has always been involved, was just in the local church. So all of my friends were always in the church. So if a friend left the church, I always felt like they were leaving me. And they would say stupid things to me, like, don't take it personally. I'm like, what are we doing here if we're not taking this personally? Right? And I would say, heaven and hell is on the line, and it would feed my codependency. And fear is a liar. This is not on the screen, but write this down if you're taking notes and if this is speaking to you. Depression has never told you the truth before. Fear is an absolute liar. And that fear really stems from this, is when it really gets bad and it starts obsessing in my mind, and I start obsessing in my mind of fear, rejection, failure, dreams not coming true, ruining my kids, all the greats. I'm hitting the same classics as most people. Afraid that I'm going to have to die and be in a 7XL coffin someday? Gosh, it's more than enough to just keep you up at night. And the fear of things are never going to change is usually what leads me to having suicidal thoughts. Now, I'll tell you this, from all my studies and conversations that I've had, it's a pretty normal thing to have. Everybody has considered what is it like to not be here because, statistically speaking, 10 out of 10 people die someday. It's something that we have to face. 
And unfortunately, part of that obsession that, or what could eventually become an obsession can also lead to a very dark place of considering suicide, a fear or a despair that this will not change ever or it will change for somebody and be better for somebody else because I'm gone. The problem with those kinds of thoughts John 8.44 says this about you. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire because he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Jesus is calling somebody out here. For there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks in his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The idea that your life should be taken into your own hands and ended is a lie. And my friends, I truly believe that it is illness and it is also paved and utilized by the devil. I believe that. Uh, do I believe all mental illness is just evil darkness in the world? No. I, I am a skeptic scientist more so than most pastors that you would meet because when I see scientific claim or discovery, I'm filled with wonder, and it helps me worship. Um, I'm not afraid of it. Um, I, I feel like I get unlocked into the, I'm like, build another big telescope. Uh, like show me what's out there, man, because it all just points to the greatness and grandeur of God. My therapist told me this. He, when, I, when I finally brought it to him, it had come out of nowhere, the thought, nothing's ever going to change, you should end yourself. How many of you rhetorical question, please don't raise your hand. Just don't like meetings. I don't, typically, unless I have some freedom to be goofy in the midst of them, but even then, nobody just wants to sit there. You know what the tension is? It's a meeting. It's the same thing. You're just sitting there in silence, and you're not allowed to speak because somebody else is speaking. Ah, kind of right now. <laughs> Shoot. Um, Here, here's, here's what he, he helped me understand. I was leaving this meeting, and all of a sudden it was overcoming me, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, and I was just driving home on Van Dyke. There wasn't even traffic out there, so it was the awesome version of Van Dyke where you have all these lanes to look through. And I, I don't know, it was just really dark. So then I was fine. Then I prayed, and I, I was in a good spot after that, but I thought to myself, I want to work on this. I want to find out what the heck just happened here, and I brought it back to my counselor, and I was like, Doc, what, like, I, everything was fine, what happened? And he's like, you're asking the right question, what happened? The first thing he wanted me to understand was that I was having a very primitive thought. Primitive, like primitive like caveman, primitive like toddler. Toddlers are very primitive creatures. <laughs> um, it happens again, it usually recurs again later in your life when you go into junior high and it happens again and then just before you get married and you're in your 20s and you're like, me, man, toddler, coming back again. Notice, ladies, I gave you a hot pass on that one. It's a raw thought of saying, like, it, and the reason I call it primitive is because life is intricate, life has a lot of details, and then we just say smash, end, instead of actually getting into what are solutions. We say, I solve all by turning all off. Bam. No one thinks that's a good idea really anywhere in life, but something can happen. Now, the trick is some of you have met stubborn toddlers, and you can be a stubborn one too. I am. The most stubborn toddler I've ever met is actually still a toddler. It's my three-year-old. Her name is Hope. 
I am actively thinking about, and like when I look over to the exit over there, I'm thinking that Hope is out there testing her teacher. And she's not mean as much as she is defiant. Now, I don't know how you feel about spanking, but if my kid does something that's dangerous to her life and she just can't seem to get the concept, I want them to get the concept quickly to protect them in the future, and she will receive a spanking. If, and it hasn't happened very often. Um, I'm, I'm not quick to that. I'm really faster to understanding, and there are other ways to treat a kid. But with her, um, there was one day where she had done something dangerous. I can't exactly remember what it was, and I know that that would put you on my side if I can remember the context, but I can't. All you need to know is it was dangerous, and I think she'd hit somebody and like almost got them in the eye, and I'm like, now it's time for a spanking. And she was, I think, two, two and a half. She may have been just three by then. And I take Hopi, and I bend her over, and I go, whack. And this was her response. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is a wild stallion that I'm going to have to break. <laughs> so then I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm not going to get a belt out or anything crazy like that, but I'm like, all right, she's not crying. Whack! <laughs> not even a single tear. I'm not a pansy, all right? I know how to smack a thing, and I swear she just took it. And at this point, I'm not even mad, right? I'm kind of proud. I'm like, look at little Spartacus here. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going to happen later in life? And, like, she's kind of my hero. And now I call her the boss because even her teachers were like, well, just cave in. They're like, it's a whole thing with hope. You just kind of have to let her, let her get it. And, like, she doesn't totally run the house, but she basically runs the house. Uh, and it took the third time, and then she finally cried, and then she put her finger in my face, and she said, why did you do that to me? I'm like, I explained earlier, but I'm afraid she's going to hit me back at this point. Like, I don't know, like a little Stewie, right? Like, this is going to end you. Like, I was just, I was, uh, and my friends, I, you and I have that same in you. We're like, I'm going to get through this. Mm. No, I'm not. I will. Stubbornness will kick in. And here's what I've learned about hope. Uh, the scriptures say that a gentle word will turn away wrath. So if I talk soft to hope, sometimes there's really no predictable method with this child, but sometimes a gentle touch will do it. But honestly, if hope does something wrong or my, my older daughter Anna does something wrong, yelling doesn't really accomplish anything other than letting me vent out my own stuff. Um, if my kids misunderstand something or say something offensive, especially the three-year-old, I'm gentle with her. In the book of Galatians, it talks about how we're to restore each other with gentleness. Which is funny, because it's in the same book where Paul loses his cool for a second and says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? But regardless, being gentle, you, my friend, and I have these cavemen who freak out and say, smash, end all. And if you get mad at yourself for it, it only makes it worse. Because 
you start to show up and you can't just ignore it, but then you don't want to obsess over it. And then you're like saying, oh, no, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. And then you start feeling shame about it. And you're like, oh, no, but I've been rescued by Christ. And then you feel shame for feeling shame. And then you feel shame about that later on down the road because you're like, oh, I thought I was totally over that. And then it came up again. And I even preached a really good sermon on it. And here I am again thinking those thoughts like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be a statistic. And like, it's all just a hot mess. And the better way to just handle it is to just take it easy. And just say, oh, wow, where did that come from? I've learned a few really good questions. I don't, first of all, I don't ignore it when those thoughts come up, but I don't obsess over it either. I go, why, 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 why? Obsession with anything has never gotten me further and better in life. Dedication has, but obsession, never. So when they show up, I ask questions. I don't ignore it, but I don't obsess over it. I just ask what's happening. And I do have um, some breathing exercises that I've learned, some meditation that has helped. And I write some stuff down. Usually by write, I mean type into my quick note app in my phone. And I'm like, I was driving home from a meeting, and wow. And then I have some homework to bring to the therapist. And I sit down, I say, Dr. Tim, here's the stuff that was happening. And he asks really good questions about that moment. Um, here's, here's kind of what I learned is I've started asking myself what's going on in my body right now. Like what am I, I try to make it as tangible as possible because again, I don't want to just think about the shark that's swimming in the water and how did it get my foot? Like I'm trying to figure out like what, where did this come from? Where, you know, what's happening? Was there a trigger? But really just what am I feeling right now? And uh, it can start super basic. It's like my hands are really cold right now. Okay. Like, what, wherever it starts, like, th- did that lead me into suicidal thoughts? No, but it got me to something tangible. It got me to something tangible. Or maybe it means, like, your hands are cold because you didn't do this earlier today, or perhaps you need to go get up and walk in your office or something to start getting your blood pumping in a different way. But it started asking me questions. And here's what's really interesting is I see it coming faster and easier now because I've done the work to say, where in the world did that come from? And I'm able to diagnose it and look at it and poke it without being obsessed and overwhelmed by it. I've taken away its power and I've stopped worshiping it as there might be a shark out there. Let me give you some quick, this will be fill in the blanks, I'm already out of time and I want to move through these really, really quickly. My advice on counselors, um, advice, not scripture, not professional, this is just a dude who's made it further than a lot of other people would with my illness. So let me give you, that's the band, by the way. They're not just peacing out. (laughs) Hear about it. Um, Find somebody who is both a Christian and a scientist. Okay? Somebody who is willing to talk to you about Christ. Somebody who's willing to talk to you about your faith and not just dismiss it and not just reinvent a new kind of faith for you. They won't have a hidden agenda. But also find somebody who's willing to say not everything is a spiritual attack. Some are just chemical imbalances. Let me get you some help. Okay? Find somebody who has the mind of both. Uh, Number two, this is going to sound super not professional, but make sure they're not a one-trick pony. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Here's, and this is all from experience. From certain counselors, I can tell that they're just, they open up a book because they have a special book that they've had, and they're like, these are the ten questions to finding the truth about blah. What What a load. All right. I, no one's written a book about this hot mess before, okay? There are no questions that can get me and like just figure me out, you've got a complicated story in your life. You've got a complicated situation. 
And if you've got somebody who just wants to run you through their program instead of getting to know your life, you need to find, in my opinion, somebody who's willing to go through all of the details with you. Programs are wonderful, but they do not find all of the final solutions. And if you really want to track down your special breed of shark, you need somebody who is willing to get into the entire hot mess with you. Okay? Find somebody that takes you seriously. They don't blow you off. And again, they're listening, and they're wonderful listeners. How do you know if somebody's listening to you? They're asking questions. They're asking really good questions because they're trying to understand you. And trying to understand you is better than somebody who just tries to explain you. You see the difference? You ever just had somebody who's like, oh, you're just dealing with this, blah, blah. Uh, it's just somebody who just tried to figure out the whatever so they can move on. Somebody who has Christ in their heart, hopefully, hopefully, though no Christians are the same, you've met us, uh, uh, hopefully that person's going to have the patience to say, keep coming back. Make sure you find somebody who doesn't uh, over-comfort and validate, oh, honey, you just needed to do that. They just need to deal with you, and oh, well, good for you for finally facing that in yourself. And it's like, okay, right, if you need to go to a rah-rah session, uh, once a week, I understand, like, I want to feel good about me, I, everybody does, okay, but that's just a version of escapism that you're paying a lot of money in therapy bills for. So, also, you don't want somebody who's going to overpunish you, somebody who doesn't overpunish you, how, how dare you, and they're that finger-in-your-face kind of counselor. They're a rare breed, but there's alpha males everywhere, okay? So, uh, I, I've met the counselor who was like, I heard you say last week, and how dare you? And that makes you this kind of husband. And I'm like, bro, you, do you already, I told you about the shame train that I'm already wrestling with. I don't need you piling on, okay? You've read more books than me, good for you. Uh, or they insert their own story into it, and they're still not listening, and they use that to punish because they think they've already figured me out because they didn't treat their loved ones well once. Um, they listen and try to understand. And number seven, they don't try to have all the answers. They're trying to find the answers with you. You want somebody who will go next to you in life and has the professional skills to help you find it. They know better. Now, the guy that I meet with, okay, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more than maybe I would, but we're just having coffee together, right? The guy that I meet with is meeting and is currently over the ent an entire region for Catholic priests and bishops. So he meets with a lot of Christians. And um, I don't know how many of you have a Catholic background, but my wife does, so I'll pick on her. Catholics, woo, how we treat their priests. Like, and those guys come in, and they're a revolving door coming in and out, and then I go in. So I know a guy who's very experienced with people who have to live selfless lives of ministry. And it hurts. And I found somebody who could easily write me off because he also meets with lots of pastors. Lots of them. Lots of them. Hundreds over the years, I'm sure. And he could just say, I've heard your story before, therefore I insert it here, and he very gently moves me along. No, he wants to know what's going on with Tom. And he helps me dig in and work with it. Okay, I want to keep moving here and wrap this up in like two minutes here. To those who have loved ones who are sick and are dealing with being depressed or depression, they are sick. They are sick. And you are not the healer that they need. I, 
I just, I can't imagine the helplessness you must feel. I just wish I was enough. It was what my wife told me one night when I was sobbing. I wish I was enough to help you, and she's not. She's not my healer. She's, as the scriptures describe, she's my helpmate, right? She's not my fixer. You are not your spouse's fixer. You can be there next to them, walk with them, but if you're trying to marry somebody who's going to fix you, what a raw deal you're offering. Hey, you want to want to, you know, hit up with this mess? You clean it up for me every once in a while? Well, I emotionally soil myself occasionally, so you're just going to have to deal. Uh, but look at this ring. I'll make you feel better about you if you make me feel better about me. Gives me a nervous tick just thinking about it. That's a mess. And some of you lived in that. Where somebody just wanted you to be all of something so that they would always feel. i got to tell you, my friend, Christians, we find our identity in Christ, not in marriage. Marriage is not supposed to solve my loneliness. <laughs> we are two lonely people who are together. And we find beauty in Christ, satisfaction in Christ, together. Not in each other. Together. There's a difference. Um, you will never be enough for them. They might want you to be, but you won't be enough. And if you have lost somebody to suicide, I want you to know that nothing that you said could have saved that person. If they were in that much of a primitive trance, they wouldn't have understood your words. They needed the healer and the offer of life, and Satan was after them. I believe that with my whole heart. If, you, if you're like, oh, great, God and devil talks. Okay, first of all, Lake Point Church, not Lake Point Club. But you must admit to me this. There is no darker thing than losing somebody too soon. There's no, there's no worse thing than losing somebody too soon. That's where murderers come from because they remove somebody from too soon. And I believe those who are taking away the best of humanity are murderers. And that is why I hate, hate the devil. I, um, I believe in the scientific study of mental health. I am not afraid of science. In fact, my friends, I, I, I'm in wonder of it. And I, and I believe this. All truth, whatever it may be revealed, is God's truth. So if science reveals something beautiful and brand new, I, I'm just like, wow, God did that. And my atheist friend is like, really, Tom, everything? Yeah. Everything. Alpha and Omega, and you're not even close to the O of the Omega yet, bro. Let's keep going. This is great. I'm into it. A lot of guys aren't like that. They think that science threatens their God. How tiny, whiny your little God must be if science threatens them. Oh, but Darwin says, and Darwin destroys faith. He created the heavens and the earth. I don't care how big his beard is. <laughs> I am in wonder of whatever is discovered. And that is why I tell you, all truth is God's truth, and I believe that with my whole heart. If it's true, then God's in it. I'm down. I'm going to move on. I want to tell you this. If you're suffering right now, God is next to you, and he has never left you. Accusation and lonely it may feel. He hasn't gone anywhere. Jesus is sitting in the room, standing in the room, floating above it. I don't know how he do sometimes, but... He's here. He's nudging you with his big godly elbow going, I'm talking, I 
told you or didn't leave, the guy in the good church is telling you that. My friend, you are not alone. You are not alone. And there is no human being that can satisfy loneliness. But there is a being and a God who is next to you. You have not scared off. You have not annoyed. You have not overwhelmed. You have not chased away. You have not made yourself irreconcilable. You remember in the story of David and Goliath, they called Goliath a champion. That was because of Goliath's record. He had established himself as a champion. If you and I were to establish our records in front of people, I wonder if we would be called a champion or a loser. You know our God does not title you in any way other than saying, my son, my daughter, in whom I love. The Bible says over and over again, the easiest Googling I've ever done to double-check something was looking up, is God next to you? Isaiah 7.14, she will give birth to a son and be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The Lord your God is in your midst, according to Zephaniah 3.17, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you. He will not put up with you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God has a song over you right now, not pity. He doesn't pity you. He loves you, and he's with you. And he says this in the book of Job, but he knows the way that I take when he has tested me, and I come forth as gold to my God. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, Joshua 1.9. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and staff. They comfort me. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor and says, I have found you in sight of the keeper of this entire prison. You shall be set free. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you are overwhelmed, I am with you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus Romans 8 38 through 39 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us for we have seen his glory as the glory of the only son of the father full of grace and truth and an angel of the Lord appeared to them I'm not for the Lord is with you, O mighty men of failure, even to your old age and gray hairs. I am he, and I am he who will 
will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, not your solutions, not your help, not your retirement plan, not your 401k, not your best friend, your worst friend, your past or any of destroyed, your husband, your wife, your ex-husband, your ex-wife, and your other ex-husband, and your other ex-husband, and your other ex-wife. They will not change you or restore you. There is no one but the Lord Almighty. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age, Jesus says. Worry and worship cannot oh he is good worry and worship cannot exist in the same space for one always displaces the other choose worship all we were doing in that moment was saying this is who God is this is who God is not this is what I'm going through and you are going through it right now. But worrying will not add another day to your life or take you backward. And suicide will not cause anything to be healed. Don't trust yourself with that thought. And just like I don't let healthy my little toddler Decide how and when I should invest my, my Roth IRA. So I will not let my deepest sadness of loss and inadequacy decide whether or not I shall live or die. Right when you think you can't get any lower, right when you don't think it can get any worse, right when you think no, that nothing can be saved or rescued. Worshiping the Lord is us lowering ourselves to lift up his name. If you don't think you can get lower, then get lower and lift him up. Right now, right here, I tell you that that when it all feels like it's falling apart, lifting up the name of Jesus is the only thing that makes sense to me. Even when I am Jeremiah-level mad at him. Worship, my friends. Saying, I don't know, but I know he is. I felt, and honestly, I wish I was cured. I'm not. But if you follow me as I follow Christ right now, I can tell you that Last summer, I didn't know if I should ever go to a church again. But that's because I had elevated people like Scott to be the representatives of Christ instead of letting Jesus do the talking for himself. And I do the best listening when I stop talking and I start worshiping. What is my identity? What am I supposed to do? How do I make sure I'm not wasting my life? Well, goodness, I, the best way I know to not be afraid of wasting my life is 
to put my life in something else's hands. And I've said this to you before, um, but when you don't know what to do, you have to do what you know to do. So I knew that I was supposed to go to church because that's what you do. <laughs> so I did. And it wasn't Lake Point at first. Um, in fact, I was with my friend because I knew the pastor, and I was like, can I just hide in the back row? And he's like, absolutely. Um, and he took me out for tacos, and his tacos were healing. And he said, can we go down? I think you should meet Scott. I think you really like him. And I said, no, because he'll try to get me, because that's what those church planters do. He's got my number anyways. He's sassy. But I'm not looking for Scott to fix this. I'm doing work. And I'm trusting in the Lord. And I want to do church with you, and I want to help you too. Scott's going to talk about this in a second, but on your connection card, on the back of it, I want to I email you tomorrow. And then on the back of that connection card, it's inside of the program when you walked in, that brown thing that says overwhelmed. And inside of there's just a card. You just check the box and say, I want Pastor Tom to email me, and I just want to send you some resources. I... Again, we're just having coffee right now, so I'm just going to shoot you an email so I can cover what we talked about. And the first thing is I'm going to tell you nothing about medication or anything like that. I'm just going to give you some resources of some groups that I think are really good, that have helped me personally, and a number to a few different counselors. And, oh, but Tom, I can't afford it. The counselors that I'm going to recommend all do something called FlexPay, which is they look at what you earn and they try to adjust that according to your income so that you can afford it, but it'll still be an investment. Right here, right now, I want to tell you, change does not happen with a formula. It might not be immediate for you. It certainly has not been for me. Change might not be in an instant, but you have the name and the power and the authority of the blood of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus' rec resurrection. Your killer, your shark, might be big, but it's not bigger than Jesus. I don't need a bigger Savior. I've already got them. <laughs> the victory is already here. We just need the Spirit of God to pull us up. And you know how you get pulled up? What happened when you fell when you were a toddler? Pick me up. Just pick me up. Oh, geez. My kids just run up to me, and they're, they don't consider their approach. They just start slapping parts of me. <laughs> <laughs> they, they like rub my tummy like I'm a little Buddha statue and like they're just all over me and they're just doing whatever they can to touch me and they keep saying this to me and it's a little annoying sometimes but it's also very sweet okay if you heard anything 50 times and they never put their hands off you, you'd be annoyed too but this is what my daughters say to me I want you I want you I want you I want you dad I want you your friends you get picked up if you lift up your hands Scream to your father and say, I want you. I want you. I want you. The only reason that I make it isn't just because of therapy and medication. Because I'm being rescued. I'm being rescued from a dark, difficult pit. Would you stand with me? Worship cannot occupy the same place as worry. And I want to invite you to an opportunity to, to do that for, for next steps. But can I pray for us? God, we sing to you today <clears throat> in our hearts, in our cars. And we say who you are and not what we are going through. 
we are not the sum total of our past, our present, or what we're afraid will or will not be our future. We are only made complete in you. Please help, God. And it's in your name we all pray together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tom. I give Tom a hand. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, real quick, um, I'm going to take our offering in just a minute. Um, but before we do that, our next step and um, is uh, a couple things. If you're here today and you're like, Scott, I deal with this area of depression and I need help. And I would like to talk to somebody. Tom has made himself available to have this conversation. We're so honored and blessed to have Tom here on our staff. And, um, you know, no perfect people allowed. And uh, we're glad to have him. None of us are perfect. We're all going through things in life. And so we're just thankful that he's with us. But he can work with you, love to talk to you, help you. And I, I pray that today's message is a help, uh, perhaps with you or maybe you know someone that's going through their depression, you can pray for them. One of the ways that help people is to be connected in life groups. And life groups start this week. In just a minute, we're going to be having, um, we'll be dismissing, and we have our life group over here in the back. And uh, I just want for just a minute, all of our life group leaders, we just stand, not, don't come up here, just stand where you're at. And... Um, I, I pray that you look around, and, and we've got others around here in the back room. We've got one way back there and a couple back here, Kevin over here. Um, and if you're interested, ask any one of these guys and ladies about life groups. And um, we're going to pray for them in just a minute. You guys may be seated. Uh, we're going to be praying for them in just a minute. This is our time of offering. And um, guys, if you will be ready to come in just a minute. Um, got a couple offerings here on your connection card. If you're a first-time guest with us, if you'll take a minute, drop this card off in the basket and let us know about your visit with us today. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for all you've done for us. We thank you for your many blessings that you've given us. We thank you that you are a God that can help us even at our work. You will come down into the miry clay and pull us out. We thank you that you are a God with reckless love, with an overwhelming love. We thank you. We thank you for the message. And God, we pray for these life group leaders that they kick off groups this week. I pray for all of us to be connected to a group, get involved, get signed up, and get plugged in. We need each other. We can't do life alone. We need each other so that we can carry each other's burden and to pray for each other and to grow with others. And then, God, I pray that you ask you bless the offering, bless the gift as well as the giver. In your name I pray, amen. As they're passing the offering, um, real quickly, uh, next Sunday we're going to be continuing our series. I'll be teaching a message on grief, overwhelmed with grief. You, you know someone that um, is dealing with grief in their life. I pray that you'll be back here next Sunday morning as we continue in our series on Overwhelmed. Um, also, in a couple of weeks, we've got Greater Things offering. It's a big blue bucket. I hope you've been collecting change all year. And if you don't have a bucket, not too late to get started. As you leave, there's a, a Greater Things table uh, by the outreach table. There's a table with the Greater Things bucket. 
encourage you to take one of those buckets. Everything that's turned in in that bucket goes to church planting. It goes to um, Abigail House Ministry. It goes to uh, a Love for a Child, which is a foster care ministry. And we're going to be supporting those three ministries. And I hope that you'll be involved in that in a couple of weeks, May 6th. All right. If you're a first-time guest, love to meet you. Thank you for being here. And I hope you come by and visit our, our guest table. I got a free gift that we like to give you for coming today, this morning. Uh, all of our regulars, one little thing I'd like to ask of you uh, today, if you can, uh, pick up your chairs. We'll, we've got the power going out today early. They are setting up the power at 1 o'clock, and so if you can, grab a chair. If you're able to, you can grab a chair. We've got the chair rack over here, and if you can help us, that will help us here get out of here in a timely manner. God bless you guys. Hope you'll see you next Sunday. Can't have love without the pain. When I lose direction, when I can't see the stars, if we get disconnected.